Hello from all of us at From the Front Row. My name is Steve Sonye, and today I'm joined by Admiral Michael Franken, one of the Democratic Party candidates running for the office of United States Senator here in Iowa. Michael, we're going to run through a series of six questions related to the topics of health care, higher education, and public health. You'll have three to four minutes to respond to each question. For our first question, Iowa, like many Midwestern states, suffers from a serious brain drain problem where individuals graduate from colleges in Iowa and move away. What policies will you put in place to encourage the retention of graduates and attract others to the Midwest? So this is a, as an engineer and a physics person myself, and but one who is drawn to policy issues through the years in Washington, many years on Capitol Hill, this is a system of systems approach where you focus on quality of life. And so parts of that are what's important to the family structure, education, uh, childcare, housing, is the, is the diet, dietary options uh, uh, amenable? Is the wage scale such that you can live a progressively positive lifestyle? Uh, is this something that uh, from a climate perspective, are there options for you as the year progresses um, outside and, and to enjoy the physicality of the area? So the big issue is a comprehensive approach to boost quality of life. And ultimately, that will bring people back here, as it has in the past. I mean, in, in, I'm fourth generation Iowan. People moved here then because of opportunity. Now, as opportunity has spread across all 50 states, here there are situations where what draws people to various locales. So as an example, if Iowa produces instead of 42% of its electricity by renewable means and it boosts it up to say 60%, and if there's a tax on carbon and an advantage where uh, businesses, manufacturing businesses, et cetera, which are energy intensive come here, because of the reduced carbon price of the electricity, that has a tendency to increase the jobs, the wage scales, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a, as I mentioned, system of systems approach. It's not the first order effect, but it's the second and third, which you see benefit to society. The rise in coronavirus outbreaks in long-term care facilities emphasizes that there are significant issues with how we provide care and protect older Americans. What measures will you take to address immediate concerns with infection control, and what else might you consider important to address in regards to long-term care facilities? We've been cutting public health funding for almost a decade that I know of, and, and this has been through the various outbreaks we've had. And having had experience in the Ebola outbreak in Washington to corral and instigate actions on a, on a global scale, uh, and then also working in Africa, in West Africa, uh, post-Ebola to ensure the mechanics and protocols are put in place to get on breakouts as they, as they occur in the future, I have an understanding and what needs to get done. I've also worked in, in, a, in a hog slaughterhouse for multiple years, uh, starting when I was 17 years old while I was going to college. So I understand where if you slow the line and you have PPE and you have uh, screens up and you have testing and even defumigate the car 
and segregate the watch teams, the, the work teams, by time in the locker room and et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things you can do, but you need to be mandating many of these measures. And we were, sh we were short in mandating. I think especially the retirement homes have looked at what they're protecting as an existential need. And those that have had outbreaks have had some unfortunate situations, sure, certainly, but have also let, the, let their guard down. I would argue that we look at retirement homes like we look at a, say, a nuclear power generating facility, where the workers stay on the, on the facility and you defumigate that which gets delivered. And you go through these really um, mechanical processes to ensure everything is screened. Uh, because breakouts, the lethality of those is far too high to say anything less is, 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 uh, is authorized. So, I mean, I, I think you, you look at the issue like you own it, and like it's your mother or father in the place, and what would you like to do? And ultimately, the caregivers get a boost in pay, and when they break that, uh, uh, the perimeter, they have got to go elsewhere, you go through a, a quarantine period before you can get them back in, uh, and all the testing associated with this. So that's what I would suggest. Public health funding represents only 2.5% of the roughly $3.5 trillion spent on health care. Years of budget cuts from 2008 to 2017 have led to the elimination of 55,000 positions in local public health departments. This has left our nation underfunded and unprepared to address public health emergencies like the one we're experiencing now. How will you help support our public health infrastructure to handle future emergencies and other public health issues? Well, public health is the quality of life issue. It's also a national security issue. Um, it's also an existential issue for those who are most susceptible. I will say that uh, you, you cut off from 08 to 17, but I believe the Trump tax cut further damages revenue. And I believe the public health budget is, is under further assault. In, in, the, in the wake of this pandemic, without the HEROES Act being passed, without relief to the state and municipal government uh, revenue chain, we can expect further assaults to public health. So ultimately, it will have to be addressed in a post-coronavirus piece of legislation. I think it will uh, be met favorably on the Hill. I would also craft it as something larger than just a renew what we thought we needed. I think bigger than that. I think of the large, long-term, what's the America that we're looking for versus what the America we had? Because the, the America we had was a feeble healthcare system. We need to face that as a reality. We need to aim for something that's more efficient, has a higher degree of efficacy, but yet has the resilience to treat an expanded uh, a critical base of patients when we have these breakouts. And I assure you, as a national security person for almost four decades, uh, this is studied by nefarious actors and uh, having the necessary sentinels in place in society to alert us of possible nefarious actions is part of this public health early measures to take. 
Um, so my, my suggestion is that we address this in the near term, but we look at this as part of a long-term infrastructure plan to address the benefit of Americans and, the, and our progenity. This goes forward. And ultimately, public health will be part of that preventive health care equation, which saves us in the long term. Rural families are increasingly threatened by closures of labor and delivery units within their communities. As a U.S. Senator, what will you do to improve access to maternal care services? Yeah, there, there are two, th- two issues, three issues that are working against providing the same type of maternity OBGYN care from anesthetist to uh, ICU and, and the necessary, uh, those on the two sigma side of deliveries that, that rural, health, rural healthcare can't really provide. So uh, one is very low Medicaid, uh, Medicaid reimbursement rates. And I think something like 50% of the deliveries are Medicaid uh, paid for in rural America, in rural Iowa even, uh, thereabouts. Which, and then there's elements of tort which come into play for if you've got a low rate of deliveries you start looking at the cost-benefit analysis of doing those deliveries as a GP because of the malpractice insurance that's necessitated. So, I mean, that's an issue. And then also, oftentimes, the hospitals also have costs associated with this. And uh, sometimes it's a, it's a net negative for the hospitals. So there's a, an expanse of things that could ultimately occur I'm a fan of providing, and and depends what the source is, what the, what the vehicle source is. Is it USDA like we do uh, other benefit programs, or is it another vehicle that provides adjuncts to the funding for Medicaid, Medicaid paying for these these births? Um, ultimately, though, we need the fully the full implementation of the Affordable Care Act. So that everybody has health care, and you're and you're also you're not the deliveries are covered under some insurance plan, and if we need to address the the Medicaid rate, well, we should probably do that. But it has to be a business equation that works, and right now the business equation doesn't work. Um, the consequence of that is you're constantly struggling against competing sources of of money when it when there's a there's a element of illogical actions associated with this. Uh, we need to look at all the levers that we can pull and say which ones are executable. The, the business equation uh, has, to, has to work well. Because this is, a, this is a, you know, your first question was quality of life, getting people to live out here. Well, health care, maternity care, child care, housing, infrastructure, all of this is part of the equation. As the pandemic continues, schools are moving to online methods to provide education. Iowa currently is ranked 45th in state broadband access, and other states similarly suffer from poor connectivity. What actions will you take to ensure students and others remain connected in this new digital era? I'm a big fan of a comprehensive infrastructure plan as part of the kickstarting process coming out of this pandemic. So one of the principal issues I had with the HEROES Act was I wanted it to be the seed money for a larger infrastructure plan. And I mean, it can be, it can be iteratively executed, and I'm a, I'm a fan of that. 
but from uh, basic horizontal to vertical construction to re-enhancing broadband access and digitizing our economy. I'm, uh, this, this is, uh, I think, central to what America needs to move to. So I would view broadband access like, like the Roosevelt did with rural electrification. This becomes uh, what we need in America. And you know, we, this is uh, hugely executable because we're starting at a, at a far easier state with equal amounts of benef- benefits. So let me spin a yarn for you here. In the early in the uh, uh, Roosevelt administration, 5% of rural America had wired electricity, non-micro uh, scale. And uh, by the time he uh, passed away in 1945, 95% of America did. You know, we got on it and we made it happen during the depression and during the war years. Similarly, we can do this with broadband and make it a, make it a, a right and make it part of medicine services, make it part of uh, rural health care, and imagine the, the opportunities for high-definition telemed- telemedicine and the, the other enhancements that, that become entirely feasible. And for our final question today, due to COVID-19, we've seen a tremendous growth in the use of telemedicine, where providers can consult with patients through audio-only or audio-video technology. How, as a U.S. Senator, will you continue to support the use of telemedicine in a cost-effective way? Well, I think the cost-effective way is already there. This, this may seem far-fetched, but I, I do quite a bit of high-technology uh, art of the feasibles. And we have the ability now to do facial recognition, identification to high degree, uh, and you know, above two sigma so that we can use drones for delivery of, of medicines and prescriptions. And imagine uh, the, if you're going back to your original uh, maternity question, uh, potentially telemedicine with a midwife or with a PA, other, other options, and, uh, and, and using the quickness, availability of drone technology to deliver necessary medicines and, and, and the like to give us more flexibility for rural healthcare. This is available now. I think telemedicine is not going to retreat at all. It's actually going to be enhanced in terms of uh, if, if the fully implemented Affordable Care Act with a, and on the exchange is Medicare as an option, I think this is infinitely doable. And ultimately that telemedicine uh, servicing will be provided to groups of people and uh, because you'll have the bandwidth necessary to zoom like this in a much larger uh, body of individuals. And it doesn't obviously need to be local, but it certainly could be. That's my thoughts. And, and I, and I, I don't, we'll certainly not go back with telemedicine. We're actually going to go forward. We should look to see how we, we deliver it with the, uh, the lowest cost and the best fidelity. That was our interview with Admiral Michael Franken, Please be sure to tune in to future episodes of From the Front Row to hear more about issues in the field of public health. Our team can be reached at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu, and our episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Stay safe and stay healthy out there.